I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Today's sell-off as a host of concerns weigh on the major averages. We'll discuss them with the Investment Committee, debate where the markets are likely heading from here. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Bryn Talkington, Jason Snipe, and Amy Raskin. Let's check the markets. Dow was down by touch more than 400 earlier, paired the losses a little bit, but nonetheless, uh, it is mostly a down day. NASDAQ's getting a little bit of a lift today. Bryn, I turn to you. I mean, PPI was, was pretty good, uh, but you got recession fears, you got regional bank mess, you got debt ceiling continuing, and all of that is kind of weighing on on the market yet again. So we have recession fears, yet unemployment is now 3.4%. Powell said the regional banking crisis is over, yet we have PacWest is telling us it's not over. And I think within the regional banks, this death by a thousand cuts just does not work. Everyone said that the deposit flows were stable. Well, guess what? They aren't stable. And so I think until you get Congress, the FDIC, and the Fed to come together and make depositors feel safe, because this is a confidence issue, we are going to continue to see this, and that is not healthy for the market. I mean, are these, are these issues, do you think, Jason, too much to overcome in terms of you got jobless claims the highest in 18 months. Um, you know, so the economic data has been been a little squirrely. The regional bank overhang continues, as we said. PacWest is is declining sharply yet again. Deposits are fleeing. Week date, week to date, PacWest down 24. Bank United down 12. Valley National down 12. First Horizon, Horizon, Western Alliance. Right, you yep. you, you you get my drift. And then the overhang on all of that is this debt debate debacle. Uh, which is just sort of inching towards crashing into the wall. You got it, Scott. And I, and I think that is the major overhang. Although I mentioned last week, I think there's, there's some uh, theater that plays a role here and there's some responsibility on their end. And I think they'll wait to the last absolute minute to get something done. Um, but that, that is an overhang. I mean, we, we're in this kind of interesting period in the next couple of weeks where that's part of the discussion. To Bryn's point on, on regional banks and outflows, that's, that's a scary you know, development. 10% of PacWest uh, flows um, going somewhere else. Earnings have been solid. You know, PPI and CPI yesterday, mm-hmm. obviously inflation is moderating, but we're still in, in, a, in a space where there, there's still some follow through that needs to happen. I think that's what the market is weighing so, on. Josh, let me throw it out to you. Um, how, how are you looking at the market today, given, you know, a, a consecutive pretty good read on inflation, but offset by, you know, these lingering and looming concerns uh, about what's happening not only now with the economy, what might happen, the debt ceiling, regional banks, the unsettled feeling that we, uh, you know, that we're witnessing yet again? So I think there's this tendency on the part of investors, myself included, to envision bottomings as being like some sort of an event or some sort of a V-shape. And we're well within our rights to do that because so many important bottoms have been exactly that over the last five to ten years. It's almost become uh, one of the only formations you can really rely on. The problem is... I don't think that the banking slash debt slash commercial real estate bottoming process is going to be a V. I don't think it's going to play out that way. Instead, I think it's going to be more like what we're seeing right now, but it's going to go on almost forever. 
Like, we could be talking about commercial real estate and building uh, valuations blowing up two years from now, three years from now. So I don't think you're going to get that cathartic moment where we say, all right, that's it, it's over. So look at the KRE, because this is the open wound in the market right now. Let's call it what it is. Um, the median stock in the KRE is down 38% over the past year and about 33% year to date. And there are some very strong banks in that index, but there are obviously some very weak ones. Only four stocks out of the 143 names that make up the index that the KRE represents are positive on the year. 97% of the components are negative year to date. And the median PE is down to seven. The median price book is down to 0.8 times and the median price to free cash flow is 6.5 times. What that is telling you, what that's screaming at you, is that the market by and large does not think that this is anywhere near being over. The, de the, the deposit stuff, the, the flows, we, that what we're seeing there um, is nobody believes those mm -hmm. valuations for the second half of the year. And I think that's really important because this is going to stay in the headlines, going to stay in the news flow, and it will continue to, I think, put a lid on how good this market can be this year. For every great story that we have in large cap tech, for example, in consumer, um, we still have this to contend with. And, you know, again, I wish I could tell you there's some announcement that'll come out right, or some right. acquisition by a large bank, but that's just not how this is going to go. It's going to be bumpy. It's going to be annoying. It's going to linger. Um, and I don't think we're in the, the seventh or eighth inning yet. Amy, I mean, say nothing of, you know, what we know is already some credit tightening, loan demand declining. Right. Pile that on, on what we're already talking about, or the things that are dragging stocks lower today. Well, if Josh is right, if this does play out over a long period of time, I think that's actually going to be good for the market. I think the R-star, the neutral rate, the equilibrium rate, whatever you want to call it, for the financial services sector is lower than it is for the rest of the economy. So I do think I'm not as worried about a recession because consumers and corporations are have locked in low interest rates, so they're relatively immune right now, or they're holding up much better than people expected. The financial services sector is where we have the problems and where the 5% is just too high for them to continue to operate. So they need to roll off these low interest rate loans and invest in higher loans. So the longer this plays out, actually, the better it is. But that is squarely where we should be worried about right but now. Are, are you... Are you game planning a, a soft landing? If you if you think that the consumer is pretty strong, hanging in, you know, are you not I think the counting this, on a recession? The, no, I am. There, there will be a recession. I think it will be 2024. But I think the longer this goes on, the more mild the recession is. So um, because that gives it gives the Fed a chance to let inflation come down, which will give them more room that they can move on interest rates. It gives the banks more room and a longer runway to refinance their their bond portfolio. So I think that to the extent that we can um, can make this a longer process, that's a better thing for everybody. I don't know that that's, that we can, because as everyone has said, this is a trust issue. So if you get runs on banks, it's very hard to predict, and you, you really can't control that. I mean, you, you could every day, Bryn, find a host of reasons why it makes sense to be cautious or negative on the market. They're all well known, all right? You don't have to search long and far and all that stuff to try and come up with a reason to, to be negative. 
You throw all of the reasons at someone like Tom Lee, who was on with me yesterday on Closing Bell, and still makes the case that the bull case is prevailing. Listen. What we think is the bull case is that inflation is falling faster uh, than most people realize because we're starting to drop some of the high prints from last year. And that's going to allow the Fed's pause to become more comfortable for investors because it really leads to a soft landing. I still think that's more than a 50% probability. What do you think of that? So, so it's important, I've been saying this all year, about the numbers dropping off. And so in the first part of 2022, we had 1%, 1.2, 0.9. Those are dropping off. So by the end of July, I think we'll have a three handle on CPI. Fed funds is what, five and a quarter? You could have a 200 basis point spread between Fed funds and CPI. That is bullish. So I agree with him there. Where I think it gets more challenging is going back to the regional banks, is that once we get there, number one, we probably stay around that 3%. And then if the Fed is going to make sure we get to two, Jeff Gumlock said to you last year at the Future Proof Festival, if the Fed is set on getting to two, guess what? We're going to pierce through two and probably go to zero. And then as it get back, going back to the regional banks, that is the grease in the economy. And so I'll tell you for sure, that is going to lower GDP. And so I think this is way too early. And I get, you know, history will tell me Tom will ultimately be right because the markets go up, what, 78% of the time. But I feel right now, I agree with Josh, this V-shaped rally, this V-shaped recovery, I think we're going to slog along. And I also think it's very, very dangerous that we have such terrible breadth in the market mm -hmm. that literally outside of large cap tech and, and Amazon and Tesla, the rest of the market is either negative three to plus four for the year. That is not a healthy environment no, but, but to go we, to, to new highs. But we've been in that environment before, right? We've been, we've seen this movie before so to speak, where you've had mega cap B have this oversized um, carry on on the rest of, of the market. It hasn't always been so negative. Right. But but it hasn't always been so negative. But if you actually reflect back on the earnings, look at Facebook and Google, their revenues were flat. Maybe Google was up like two percent. Um, Apple was OK. Microsoft actually has the AI and let's say Google, but these are not companies growing at 10 to 20 percent. And so there's only so much multiple expansion I believe the market will allow with these companies. In the meantime, everything else is being left for dead. That has to I think that has to reconcile itself because that is, those are not the ingredients. To, so that's where I would disagree with Tom to all of a sudden continue to rally with this type of dynamic. Josh, what about Tom Lee? The bull case is prevailing. He said you just heard him make his case in part about why he thinks people have just gotten too negative on the market, that people are too negative on, on where the economy is ultimately going to go. Well, so this is where it, uh, this is where it gets tricky, the difference between the economy and the stock market, because Apple is not really representative of how most companies are doing. Forget about the stock price, just like fundamentally. Apple is Apple, and Apple is so big that it really can mask a lot of you know turmoil under the surface. Keep in mind, Apple is bigger than the entire stock market of Great Britain. Apple is twice the size of the German stock market. Like we, we have to get out of the habit of looking at what the S&P is doing and telling an economic story because the two things can diverge for a very long time. Um, but I'll give you two positives for the overall market. And, and maybe this is where Tom Lee will be right. 
the expectations for 2023 earnings from peak to trough had fallen about 13%, okay? This quarter, we were supposed to have negative 7% year-over-year earnings growth. The actual number, now that pretty much everyone has reported, is looking more like negative 3%. And that, again, it speaks to the resilience of the 500 best stocks in the world. That's the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that number actually bounced, and we're actually seeing revisions higher for the first time. And so in the month of April, the full year 2023 earnings expectation actually went up 1%. It's been a long time since we've been able to say that Wall Street's analysts are now raising uh, their forecast. So we'll see if that's a blip. Maybe it doesn't continue into May. But that's something. That's one. The second thing that I would point out is, to Bryn's point, the market, the bond market, is already way ahead of this. Take a look at where we're pricing things. The one month is yielding 5.5%. That's the highest on the curve. The five year is 3.3. That's the lowest on the curve. Nobody believes that we're still going to be fighting inflation this time next year. At least nobody that's actually betting with real money, right? It might be people spouting off opinions on social media, but real money is already way ahead of that. So if you take those two things, maybe earnings growth or or maybe uh, profit forecasts starting to rise, we'll see, and lower rates from here on out, uh, those two factors should be supportive. Again, A lot of this is going to depend on how Apple and Microsoft do, just by virtue of their sheer size. But that's the way I see it. I want to talk about what's happening. And since we mentioned mega cap, I want to talk about Google um, Alphabet. Throw throw up the the stock, guys, if you could, please, Uh, because they did have their I.O. conference yesterday amid, let's be honest. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism around the company, the CEO, as to whether they are ceding ground to competitors like Microsoft on AI, which is all the rage, as you know. So there's a stock which got a nice bump yesterday. It's getting a nice bump today as well. And the commentary, and I'm Josh, I'm going to come back to you on this first because you made such an impassioned case about Alphabet the other day, um, along with the technical case as well. But I mean, on, on the I.O. conference, here's Jeffries, one of the most substantial in years. Morgan Stanley will help erode the heavily debated AI overhang. UBS makes Google look more front-footed in, in Gen AI. Um, Oppenheimer quelled near-term investor angst. Atlantic Equities, sufficient reassurance that it remains competitive in AI. So everybody's glowing about it. And by the way, the year-to-date gains in Alphabet today, year-to-date, are better than Microsoft. Now, you may not realize that because people have been hating on Alphabet lately, but that is the case, Josh. The narrative in the media, uh, the financial media and the tech media, is that uh, first mover advantage was somehow going to be really important here. And I spent the last three months saying that that was wrong. The other narrative is that somehow Google is ceding leadership to Microsoft. And I said, that is completely wrong. And what's gone on in the last three days makes it very clear um, that the market is going to now evolve um, and, and is going to say, OK, there probably is no widespread consumer adoption of AI tools without Alphabet. Um, and that, this is what you see in the stock price. To be very clear, I'm a long-term investor in Alphabet and not trading the stock. But the technical breakout that was shaping up that I've been talking about for the past week uh, was right in front of everyone's face. And I love these situations where the, the, the commentariat 
is of one view, and then you look at what's shaping up in the stock price and the accumulation that's bubbling up just below a major resistance point. And this is a classic case of money talks and BS walks. And so uh, we're going to see that narrative shift now. They, they knew what they had to do at this conference, and they did it. And I actually posted a 15-minute supercut video on my blog if anybody's interested to see what Google is actually rolling out, like not thinking about, but actually doing. And you will understand, this is not a company that's been sitting on the sidelines eating crayons. They've been working on these tools for a decade. And maybe ChatGPT uh, you know, put, put, put a timer, a stopwatch up. But this was going to happen anyway. And Google was always going to be a major AI player. I mean, I, I don't want you to uh, forget in, in any way. I mean, let, let's be honest. This was in part also an investor-led uh, revolt in, in some respects, wrong. not not a media created thing because you had the likes of Brad Gerstner, who is very influential investor out on the West Coast, sell his alphabet stake because he thought that oh, well. Google w w was making uh, a big mistake. Now, whether he buys it back at some point, I, I don't know. But this wasn't some, you know, drummed up media nonsense, real well-known investors were voicing their opinion and voting with their wallets, not, not BS uh, either, just to make sure that, that all of that is out. What yeah, well, I mean, I think we can obviously have more than one winner, and Microsoft and, and Google clearly are in the poll position. I think as an investor, though, is that where is Google going to monetize this, and what does Google do as their core business? They sell ads. And so I know that Google is going to embed more of their AI to sell more ads and have me buy stuff I don't want. Microsoft, once again, that can be a great company, but I think ultimately they are an ad company. Microsoft, on the other hand, is going to embed it, and everyone should get comfortable with the phrase Copilot, because Copilot, Microsoft's Copilot, is going to be going into Microsoft Office, it's in Teams, and that is gonna make me, as an Office user, as all of us, as Microsoft Office users, so much more productive. And I think that is where they're gonna monetize this, where we say, maybe I don't need to use AWS. Maybe I wanna to switch to Azure just because the productivity that I can use in my daily business is so much more evident. Because my concern with both Facebook and Google is ultimately their AI, I'm the product, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't like hey, that. Hey, Bryn. Yeah. Bryn, can I, can I just, can I, I just want to point out there are tens of millions of businesses and organizations that run Google Enterprise. My, my firm does not use Microsoft, uh, it uses Google, but we use Office, we use Docs, we use Drive. So it, it's not that Google's only way of monetizing this is through ads. Um, I, think, I think the opportunity is so, look, if the AI bulls are right, of course there's not one winner. And we haven't even talked about what might Apple start to, to, to include. Uh, like Apple is, is suspiciously quiet. They might come out with AI that has the fastest mass adoption curve of all time by virtue of the installed base of their devices and their operating system. So it's, it's a really big opportunity. And the one thing we should not do in the media is treat it like a horse race where one company wins. What we should really try to focus on is what are the ways in which this technology can be applied to every industry that we all invest in? Yeah. And you know how many beneficiaries, including ourselves, there are going to be? No, that, that, believe me, the handicappers, so to speak, are going through it now and, and placing you know, pretty good odds on, on a number 
of players, which are, are reasonably obvious at this point, considering it's Microsoft. And there's a positive note from Morgan Stanley on AMD, which I'll get to in, in two seconds. But both both of you own own Alphabet. So, Amy, Amy, you first. Are you feeling better today than you were, let's say, a month ago about where AI and Alphabet are uh, after this event, which, as I said, this, this street is glowing about? I'm actually not, actually, because I think AI is just getting so overhyped, and the, the fact that it's getting put in valuations at this point actually kind of worries me a little bit. Both Microsoft and Google are at the valuations that they are because they have natural monopolies. Search is a natural monopoly. Office, for the most part, Josh Office notwithstanding, is a natural monopoly. If AI is not a natural monopoly, if these two guys just go at each other and compete with each other, consumers and corporations will benefit, but they're not going to make a ton of money. So what I really want to see is the business model of how this is going to translate into profits for shareholders. And I think that jury is still out. And to the extent that that gets discounted back into valuations before I clearly see that, I'm actually less optimistic than I was before. Well, you can obviously easily monetize it if you're NVIDIA, which you're selling these um, chips much in, easier in, yes. into <laughs> yes. what about what about this on alphabet by the way yeah. so Microsoft price target gets raised to 340 from 325 by Dan Ives who will be on with me on closing bell uh, later today to discuss his new note I mentioned AMD Morgan Stanley the AI opportunity they say looks to be multiples of our initial assessment they reiterate their overweight they raise their AI revs to 400 million bull case to 1.2 billion for calendar year 24 uh, so you could take this on a number of different places. Yeah. So, Scott, I mean, I, I think all great points um, as it relates to Google. There was no doubt about it that they weren't they weren't going to roll over. There will be many players in the space, I think, to Josh and Bryn's point, um, as it relates to AI. And AI is going to move quickly. Um, but when I think about the quarter, and I think Bryn alluded to some of the things, um, some of the items from the quarter. I mean, the quarter was mixed. I mean, revenue was only up 4%. Um, digital advertising has slowed some. Um, but I think, yeah. The reason why this I.O. conference was, was received well is because there was this idea that they weren't going to respond for some reason. And obviously they have. And I do think A.I. is going to play a role for sure in our market. I think it'll be integral to to how businesses function. And we'll all have to figure out how we operate with that. Um, and I and I just think Google Google will play a role. Google Cloud was their first profitable quarter. So you're, com quarter. you're comfortable with Alphabet shares right now. I am. I am. And, and the multiples, we're only trading at 20 times, right? If you look at Microsoft, 32 times. Apple's plus 25 times. I mean, so I think there's some value here. It's run a lot. Uh, a lot of the mega cap names have learned a lot. And yeah, I think it's kind sure. of just a defensive play this year in the market. All right. Uh, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's squeeze in a break. Uh, coming up, we have our chart of the day. It's Disney, the biggest Dow decliner today. Investors are reacting to that earnings report and uh, the news within it. Amy owns it. We'll get her take on it next. Dow's down 224. Let's do our chart of the day. Disney, the biggest drag on the Dow today. It's the worst day since November right there, near 8%. After the uh, earnings report, Amy, I come to you because you own it. Yep. Subs were a miss. 
Uh, seems they'll be buying, it looks like, the rest of Hulu from our parent company, right, which is a Comcast. He yeah. got a couple of weights to say on the stock yes. today. Yes, it was a sloppy quarter, no doubt. Um, I think I was, I'm surprised to see it down this much, but it did run in a bit into earnings. So I think some of, there were some expectations that things would be better. It's a mess. There's a lot that they, that Iger has to fix and undo, and Hulu is going to be an overhang until that gets resolved. That said, from a long-term perspective, I still think they have great media assets. I think the fact that all the free money flowing into content, you know, willy-nilly of the past two years is probably behind us. That's a good thing from a longer-term perspective. Um, the linear TV going down as much as it is will make comps easier going forward. So I don't think this breaks the story. I think it was a sloppy quarter. Um, and there's still confusion out there. Um, but this is sort of a retrenchment to where it was earlier in the year. Moffat Nathanson uh, still calls Disney the promised land. Uh, the long-term profit picture, they say, should be brighter than the market knows. And thus, we think the stock is undervalued. Josh, you know, how do you look at, at a Disney here? Uh, it, it, for me, it's in the too hard pile. It's obviously one of the, the greatest companies in American history. But people don't realize how long the share price has been struggling. Actually, Google, you go back 30 years, has underperformed the S&P 500. So there are periods of time where it's been a good performer, but like over three decades, this has not been a great stock. I know it's hard to believe, but look it up uh, if, if you need the actual data. So uh, there, are, there are opportune times, I guess, where Disney gets like too washed out and people are too bearish, and then it has a, a resurgence and maybe Iger will be able to bring about one of those moments. Um, but until that happens, like, just you don't have to know anything about technicals. It's right smack in the middle of its range over the last year uh, between the high and low. It really uh, erased all of the benefit of Disney Plus. Uh, shortly after launching that, the stock had a massive rally. Uh, most of COVID, it was a pretty good stock. And uh, it's been in the downtrend really since March of 21. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 there's no sign of that changing anytime soon. So uh, I just, I, I don't hate the stock. I just don't see like why. There are so many obvious large cap companies in uptrends right now making new highs. Um, so if you want to fight this fight, you can. I'm just saying like, you don't have to. Yeah, well, Jason Snipe, you don't, right? right. You, you play it, this space through Netflix. Yeah. Why, why do you choose Netflix over Disney? Yeah, and I, I sold um, Disney about two summers, well, t two years ago, 2021, summer of 2021. And for me, um, I, I'd rather focus on the pure play. That's, that's why I like Netflix. Um, I think Netflix on the password sharing, ad-supported tier, uneven rollouts. But I think they will be a, that, those two initiatives will be accretive to the stock going forward. Um, you know, they also added subs. You know, they added 1.7 million subs in the quarter, and Disney has lost subs. So this, this is going to be an interesting, um, you know, view going forward on kind of this marketplace. But I like Netflix as my preferred name here. No? I mean, Iger's a temporary CEO. I think that's a big overhang is that right when he fixes it or when he, we think he will fix it, then he's going to leave and then you start again. So I think they're stuck in the mud. I think, was it 4 million users they lost? That's a, that's a yeah. big number. And I think most people thought they were going to get rid of Hulu not bring it all in. And I think that's a conflict, not like a conflict of interest, but the people like Disney for cartoons and, and all those superhero movies. And Hulu has some, you know, 
adult content. So I think they're stuck in the mud, and so I would pass. There's too many other companies to buy. All right, let's get the headlines now uh, from Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Scott. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Serbian citizens handed over nearly 6,000 weapons after authorities ordered them to give up unregistered weapons by June 8th or face prison. This comes after two mass shootings last week left 17 dead and 21 wounded. The World Health Organization declared an end to the MPOX global health emergency, formerly known as mon monkeypox, today as countries reported a nearly 90% decline in cases over the last three months compared to the previous three. The WHO had issued an emergency declaration last July amid a global uptake in MPOX cases. And the House is set to vote on a Republican border security bill today, the same day that Title 42, which allowed the government to turn away migrants at the border, is set to expire. The bill, named the Secure Border Act, would require Customs and Border Protection to hire and train 22,000 Border Patrol agents, among other measures. The White House threatened that President Biden would veto the bill earlier this week. Back over to you, Scott. Bertha, thank you, Bertha Coombs. All right, up next, some of the big analyst calls of the day, including two upgrades for one of Bryn's top stock picks. The shares are up 14% this week. We'll tell you what it is next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. a little stuck in the mud today. Let's get to our calls of the day. That one right there, block. Why do we do that? It was double downgraded to underperform at CLSA. It gives us an opportunity to talk about fintech like PayPal, which had its earnings. Let's show PayPal uh, today. New 52-week low. That was before the open. Lowest level since September of 17. Stock's getting a rebound, though. You own, you own PayPal. Yep. What, what's your takeaway here? So the call, if you, if you just listened to the call and didn't look at the stock price, it was not a bad call. They had a billion free cash flow. They're still going to have, they, they estimate, five billion free cash flow for the year. They're, they're growing up until, up until we're still looking for a successor for Dan. And it's like that's till the end of the year. So you have a company with a market cap of, what, 65, 70 billion that to me is stuck in the mud because you cannot have a company this size in a competitive market mm -hmm. with no CEO because that doesn't make any sense. And so I thought it was just almost unacceptable that they're not further along in announcing that. And that's like a Disney issue. You have to have a long-term successor. And so for me, PayPal's on the it's on my chopping block right now because this is not a company that's that's acting like they need to be in the pole position of the fintech space right now. You know, it's funny that Gordon Haskett, that the firm, they they're pretty critical of, to your point, what's what's happening or what's not happening. They say PayPal's lame duck is now limping around with a lame stock, and and they wonder, right? You have an activist there, Elliot. Um, they wonder whether Elliot's exit stage left or at least one foot out the door um, when the stock had a, had a nice move last year. Also wondering, when are they going to figure out 
who the successor to Dan Schulman's going to be. So you would think with Elliot coming in, who has such a long history, Elliot's been there for a while, that they would have already been discussing who was going to take over as a succession plan. So to me, I think that's a great analogy of a lame, a lame duck. And just like a lame duck presidency, nothing happens. And I think this will continue to be in a... A, an elephant on the chest of PayPal investors this year until that happens. In the meantime, there's other good companies that are executing. So I think it's a, it's a tougher stock to own. You thinking about selling it? You thinking yep. about selling it? Yep. What about yes. you, Jason Snipe? You own it too? Yeah. No, it was, um, to Brent's point, I mean, not a bad quarter, right? Beat on revenue, beat on EPS. But I think for me, they talked about the operational margins contraction. I think that that played into kind of the view of the stock. The price action hasn't been great. Um, you know, the other thing is it's a competitive environment. You got Apple Pay. That's the big brother. And I think that could that could really have a material impact on what they're trying to do. Why do you own for, it? Why so, do you own it? Let's just cut to the chase. Yeah, cut to the chase. Right? Because the numbers... These are some sorry numbers. Yep. Down 13%, the stock is over a month. 20.5% three months. 29.5% six months. 38% off its 52-week high. Yeah. Double question, right? Yeah, yeah. All the concerns that you're laying out, why do you own it? 100%. So I think for me, I think Bryn makes a point on, on Elliott. You know, I really like Elliott. I think they have, to, to her point, they have a great track record. It is concerning that they're quiet, that they've been quiet. They, they announced 7% layoffs, and, you know, I thought that would be accretive to the balance sheet, but it, it hasn't played out exactly the way I would think. So it's under review as well for us. Roblox. Got a couple of upgrades today, Bryn. Still on Roblox, yeah, right? I do. I do. So this is a good, I think this, this earnings quarter is good for investors to remember. They came out with earnings and they missed. It was like they lost 44 cents versus estimates were 40. The stock before the market opened was down about 2 or 3%. Then all of a sudden, the conference call starts. So investors pay attention to those conference calls. Dave Bazuki came in right off the bat and talked about they did $100 million in cash flow from operations. Bookings, which is a really important number, is back to double digits. They did 20%. And he just did such a great job about talking about the platform of Roblox, the stickiness. And in Japan, they grew 100% year over year. And so I think this is an, uh, I like this company. It is not for somebody that wants earnings, free cash flow yield today, but I like the gaming space, and I think they continue to ex execute in a hyper, hyper competitive market. Okay. Uh, it was raw MKM upgrades to buy, uh, 48 bucks price target, benchmark upgrades to buy, 45 the price target. It's up 14% week to date, um, so it's been a good week. All right. Northrop Grumman. Josh, downgraded from overweight at Barclays to equal weight. We bring it up. It's the sixth largest holding in the ITA, which you own and was your 2023 Stock Summit uh, sector pick. Yeah, I love this sector, and this seems really specific to a program that Northrop is working on. And so basically, they're, they're, they have a ramp period for this B21 per, uh, program, and it's going to cost them uh, it's going to cost them money to build up to that. So the note is like specifically focused on uh, free cash flow for this ramping period. I don't I mean, honestly, I don't really care that much. Um, broadly speaking, the sector is working, is going to continue to work because the world has become a more dangerous place, a more fragmented new world order. Uh, you've got countries all over the world that are now forced to spend more on military than the, even two years ago we ever imagined might be necessary. That's not going to change anytime soon. In fact, it probably gets worse. And so I think that these stocks have a tailwind. Uh, it's unfortunate. We don't root for this. We're not looking to profiteer. It's just a reality. Um, these are American defense contractors that make up the ETF. 
at any given time, you might have a Northrop situation where they're ramping a program and free cash flow estimates have to come down. That should not be a reason to change a, a, a broader investment thesis. All right, coming up, weak economic data out of China is putting pressure on commodities today. We'll get the take of the committee next. Copper's down, oil's down, steel's down, metal mining stocks we need to talk about. We'll do it next. All right, welcome back. China's CPI falling to a two-year low. It's putting pressure all across the commodity complex today. I mentioned some of the commodities that are down. Bryn, let, let, let's go to you first here. Um, you own Freeport. Obviously, you have big exposure in energy. Mm-hmm. How do we think about this right now? So China's reopening, first of all, has been slower, mm-hmm. but it's picking up. And Air, international airfare is really where you start using oil in, in Asia, and we are seeing that. But international air travel is only about 40-some-odd percent. But investors need to remember, especially on copper, when China gets a cold, copper gets the flu. So technically, this $34 level, I think it's like a 34.60, is a very important support. If it breaks this, I think we see a 30. And at that point, that is a great place to add because what you want to do with commodities is you really want to be thoughtful and buy low to sell and sell high versus chasing them. If we go into, I'll caveat at this, if we go into a hard landing, which is not happening anytime soon, commodities don't do well. So I think just be aware of that. China's been slower. I think what a lot of us also don't remember is not only did China go into a self-imposed you know, COVID lockdown for years, prior to that, they had a huge blow up in their real estate market. And so they're still recovering from that. And so I think this is going to continue to be volatile. But watch that 34 and 30 on, on Freeport. What are you watching in terms of oil, which is you know, just north of 70? I mean, this is, this is part of the same symptom. I will say this on oil, you have two things. You know, China international flights and seasonality in the U.S. Summer is historically one of the best times for, for oil because of the summer driving season. I also think that Saudi is going to be very aggressive this time on continue to put pressure because going back to the great financial crisis, they're actually late to cut production. They're not going to do this again. And so unfortunately, we all are reliant on what OPEC does. And so I think between the OPEC put summer seasonality and those international aircraft, we're going to have a base here on oil. But the financial, the financial, the hedge funds are short this. People are selling energy because they think we're going into recession. So that continues to be a headwind. Josh, you have Newmont. I mean, I wish I wish Farmer Jim was here, obviously, today to discuss uh, Cleveland Cliffs, which is down again. Uh, we'll do that the next time he's on. I promise you all that. Just given these questions about China, what's taking place in, in steel and some of the other commodities. But what about Newmont, Josh Brown? Yeah, nothing to do with copper at all. This, sure. is, this is a pure play on this is a pure play on whether or not there's money to be made mining and selling gold. I think there is. I think a lot of the cost pressures for all miners, but gold miners too, um, will start to roll off. And I think the higher quality companies will uh, be able to see higher margins and gold price remains supportive. So I don't know I don't know where gold price goes from here. I'll just tell you it's in an uptrend. And uh, so I think when you have that combination of the commodity itself rising in value and, and trading volumes in that commodity remaining strong, and then you have a lower cost of mining, you should do well in the, in the equity. So that's, that's the idea behind Newmont. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. Mike Santoli joins us next with his Midday Word.
right, Mike Santoli is with us, our senior markets commentator. Recession? That's what we're worried about today? Well, we are. jobless claims? I think so. Uh, well, I also think that that's been more the front and center worry for a while right now. I think yesterday's reaction to the CPI almost told you that. Market has kind of slid that down the list of things it's most concerned with. Now, you still have a debate as to whether this is just kind of a deceleration on the way to a point that's not quite a recession. Um, you know, the, the angle of uh, ascent in the weekly jobless claims chart isn't comfortable, but at the absolute level is not a alarming. And then we, we're in this in-between zone on so many things like that. And the market itself is in this slow bleed pattern of this, as we've been talking about, the cyclical stuff, the energy has been coming out of that. The eco-weighted S&P is basically where it was six months ago. In fact, it's a little bit down. It had that first burst off the October low. So we've registered a lot of those concerns already. Mm-hmm. It's unclear if we had enough. I'm watching credit uh, as a little bit of a tiebreaker on this. And credit spreads, have, again, same type of thing. They're, they're softening up. They're not necessarily giving you huge amounts of confidence, but also not at levels that set off alarms. Obviously, regional banks are, yeah. you know, an, an issue and, and are going to remain an issue. And then that's going to be unsettling. But if better inflation data can't lift stocks, yeah. what can? I mean, look, a lot of stocks can get oversold. And I, I keep saying that there's this moment when if we fully believe the Fed is on pause and the, the economy is not actually buckling, then you have a little bit of an equilibrium point where it seems like things are okay and maybe the earnings for the second half of the year can be believed. Like kind of maybe the Tom Lee perspective of, you know, inflation's coming yeah. down. Um, you can have a soft landing sure. and everything can be okay. Look, muddle through is an option. <laughs> and we, we got used to it in the last decade. And I'm not sure that's what the call is because you think, see things like home builders, you see the nominal growth is still okay because inflation is not dead. Um, and by the way, I think the other thing making people uncomfortable is the year-to-day pattern matches up pretty well with 2011 when we had the big debt standoff. Uh, we were up 7% after an early year bur- bur- burst and then sideways for months until we fell off, off the cliff. I'm glad so you mentioned, that that mentioned the debt thing, too, because yeah. it's, you know, between the recession, the regionals, and now the debt thing, too. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a lot to overcome at yeah, the moment. Yeah, if you say it, it can't happen. Yeah, I'll so see you in a couple hours. Uh, closing bell, it's Mike Santoli. Grade My Trade is up next. trade now. All right, first up, Amy, for you. Uh, Pav bought Costco 468. Have I bought this in a good environment? I mean, it's up 7% or so since that purchase, but is this a good environment to own Costco? I actually think it is a good environment to own Costco. I think the consumers hanging in there and to the extent that some of the pain is being felt at the higher end consumer, um, those are people who will go to Costco and look for a deal. Um, the company will put through their membership fee increase relatively soon. So the stock's done well. It's not cheap. And they do have hard gasoline comps. But I think it, it continues to do well. All right, Jason. Bobby owns 950 shares of AbV at 120. Um, what does he do? Does the does he hold the stock here? So in the short run, I would I would say I would actually unload the stock. When I looked at the call this this uh, this quarter, um, you know there there's they've been trying to diversify away from Humera. Humera, the, there's a lot of competition from biosimilars. Humera is 30 percent of sales. It's going to take them. They talked about on the call to 2025 for robust robust sales growth. So I would I would wrap it up. All right, we'll do final trades next. 
closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern time today. I told you Dan Ives is going to be on with us uh, off the top. We're going to talk about his new Microsoft note today and this AI arms race, as uh, many, including uh, here, calling it. Raise the price target. We'll talk to him about that. Kevin Simpson's got some new moves as well on the market. We'll document those. We'll get to finals in a second, Josh. Quickly, though, Dutch Bros. Earnings a couple days ago. Bunch of downgrades I saw. Stock's down 14% this week. Number one, do you still own it? And number two, do you still like it? I have a very small position here, the, the original position I bought. I haven't added to it. I don't plan to. They did two things I hate. They reiterated they have a 15-year plan, uh, <laughs> and then they blamed the weather. 19% of their stores are in California. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can't operate with the weather in California, I don't, like, I don't really know what to tell you. So not happy, probably not adding anytime soon. All right, give me a name uh, for a final. I got I to gotta bust it out. Uh, toast, great earnings report. Okay, uh, Amy. Torino. Jason Snipe. Wait, what did you say? Jason Snipe. Procter and Gamble. Okay. XLV. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right, I'll see you on closing value exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.